Jeff, it is game week. There's, I mean, there was technically, we had week zero, but week zero was kind of, there's nothing exciting happened on week zero other than Scott Frost sealing his fate in Nebraska. There was UAB played Jacksonville State last night in a very boring game. But tonight we have the 2017 national champion, UCF Knights. <laughs> I love that you have that shirt, that you are supporting the cause of UCF's national championship crusade. The fact that they actually made these shirts and sold them. Not um, even just like crappy shirts. Like that's a Nike shirt that went through like the school that went through their, their uh, whatever. I, what am I trying to think? Their like licensing deal. Like that had to go through like levels of approval. Yeah. And, and here it is. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I is beautiful. I bought it just cause I thought this is awesome that they had the audacity to do it. And I've worn it a bunch. It's actually like, the letters are cracking and starting to peel because I've worn this shirt so much, but I'm really, really excited for the UCF Boise state game tonight. It might be I am as well. It might be my favorite matchup. I mean, there's Clemson, Georgia is going to be a great game on Saturday, but other aside from BYU, I think UCF Boise and Clemson, Georgia are probably the games that I think are going to be the two best games of the weekend. At yeah. Least, I, I mean, think so too. I, I mean, there'll be so other too. games that are really close, like, you know, quote unquote, good games, but it'll be, you know, the two that I'm looking forward to the most. Well, and there's certainly mm-hmm. an element of it feels good to, you know, like we are part Boise State. We are part UCF. There are brothers in arms with the, in the whole P5, G5 world. So there's, there's, there's that to it, but I also think it's going to be a really good football game. Uh, my shirt, I'm going with home field. I've got Pistol Pete on. And this is my, my silent, I don't know, concession that I'm okay joining the Big 12. I, I wasn't thrilled about it at the beginning. We printed shirts, that, and I think I'm the only one who bought one, so good for everybody. But the, that, nope had, that had the Big 12 logo with the big nope across it. I, I really liked it. And at the time, that was the right call. Because at the time, we have to remember, what did we hear? We heard that the Pac-12 was going to maybe merge or that Kansas was going to the Big Ten or that Oklahoma State had applied for the Pac-12 or whatever. Like there was a ton of uncertainty and moving quickly at that point felt like a suicide mission. Like that felt bad. Now, okay, the Pac-12 says they're not going to expand and obviously all of this stuff can change, you know, in a matter of a night. But for now, Pac-12 says they're not going to expand. Big Ten seems content to stand pat. If the Big 12 can act quickly and add however many, two, four schools, right? And the rumors are potentially two to start, BYU and somebody else, and then two shortly thereafter. Uh, and they can get back to 12 and they can establish themselves as those 12. Great. Then, then I think that the Big 12 can, can survive this. And I think I want to kind of call back to something that I wrote about in our Monday newsletter, you know, and it's, a big issue. So the right now the Big 12 plays a nine-game conference slate. They do a round-robin schedule with their 10 teams. If Oklahoma, if Texas and Oklahoma leave, if they somehow legally get out of the Big 12 by next season, that means that they every team in the league, like they need 16 non-conference games, or they're gonna have to start playing two teams in their conference twice every year. And that's a problem that BYU can fix because adding BYU in terms of game inventory 
we've got 12 non-conference games scheduled for next year and 12 right. for the year after that. And like eight or 10 for the year after that, I guess we'll yep. have 11 next year uh, because of the Notre Dame game. That's probably going to happen in Vegas again. Right. Um, right. But all of those games. And so you say, okay, well, we'll move to an eight game slate and then we'll take eight of those games that BYU has scheduled and divvy them up among other big 12 teams. And then BYU doesn't have to buy them out. Like there's a lot of creativity to be had. But I think I agree with you. I think they, and they have to add to right under their current TV deal, they have to provide 10 teams worth of inventory. And so Texas and Oklahoma leave early then they have their current TV deal that runs out through the rest of 2025. They need to add somebody ASAP. So that way they have 10 teams in there. That's part of that deal. So I do think that they will add to, it seems, it really feels like that the, every single national writer dropping an article within an hour of each other last Friday, all talking about how the big 12 is going to expand. And it's a no brainer that they should add Boise. That seemed to was a, that was uh, some proactive releasing. Did you get that vibe? Well, it felt very calculated as well. Yes, that's like. the word. Yeah, it felt very much. And, and we've talked about this on the show that, that people, we, we've got to understand how media works. Everybody wants to be an insider. Okay. But there's a difference between a true insider, you know, somebody who works inside of an organization and a journalist who gets inside information. Those are two different things. We, we intermingle those definitions together all the time, but those are two very different things. Uh, an insider knows stuff, right? They can leak it. They can say it, whatever. They, they know information and it's, it, the onus is on them to decide what to do with it. But a media guy, they may know stuff, but they have to be told stuff. There's not like some insider pool that you could just jump into and you're just swimming with information. Uh, I am a football writers of association, association of America member, whatever. So am I. And so are you. And to my knowledge, I've never been given access, you know, the logins to like the Facebook page where all of the information is just sitting that we can go and pick and choose what stories we're going to break. I haven't seen that. Have you seen that as part of your FWAA membership? No, I haven't either. So, it, it, it's not, that's just not how it works. The way that it works, so all of these guys, whether it be like Woj, whether it be uh, Brett McMurphy, no, no matter who it is, the way that it works is they are fed information, period. Uh, unless they can come up with like really compelling proof of a story and they go to somebody and say, here's everything I know and here's the proof that I have, you have one day to confirm or deny or tell me your side before I go live with this they have to be told something. They can ask all the questions all day long, but if they are not told anything, then there's no story. It just doesn't happen. So when we saw that happen about Boise State, let's, let's look at what we know, right? We know that Boise State does not want to be in the Mountain West Conference. We know that. It's a known thing. They have said it. Brian Harson left in part because of it. We know. We know that the American has looked at Boise, but for whatever reason, we don't know the reason, but there was a reason that it did not pan out. Whether that be the American couldn't find a travel partner for Boise, whether it be the Boise wasn't a fit, we don't know, but it didn't work out. 
So what we know is that Boise's kind of stuck in this Mountain West Island right now. They have an opportunity to get out, and that's the Big 12. So it shouldn't feel coincidental that on the eve of all of the Big 12 hype, where you're starting to see things that BYU and UCF look like a foregone conclusion at this point, that as long as the Big 12 expands, two of those spots are taken by those two schools. And potentially a third school in Cincinnati. That seems like it's all but done as well, right? Yep. Based on what we know. So if you're Boise State, you're looking at it and you've got one spot left and you're competing with Memphis, you're competing with uh, Houston and, and USF or whoever else, right? So you go to those insiders. You go to those people and you say, hey, we got a story. Hey, we need your help. Hey, we'll give you information on X, Y, and Z if you do this for us right now. Like that's how journalism works so they leak this story to everybody and then like lambs to a slaughter all of these journalists line up one after another and and break this story or talk about this story well yeah of course that's calculated and i don't know that it's going to be enough to get boise state in the and i didn't i know the one the main one was you know by max wilson at the athletic that we saw i saw bits and pieces of um because i'm not a subscriber to the athletic but I also I don't think that Boise State's going to get in. I know people are worried about the travel, and you know, thinking saying BYU is going to be stuck on an island like West Virginia. Really, don't think so, right? Like it's when you're talking about travel partners. If you're chartering like a flight for football or basketball, it's like an hour and fifteen minutes on a chartered flight from Provo to Lubbock, and it's like which is and it's like an hour and thirty five minutes from Stillwater to Ames, Iowa. Right. Like it's not like it's that far. It's 2021. It's not that far. There are some issues with, you know, other things where you're flying commercial because not every sport gets to charter all their flights. Um, but it's I do think that if they're willing together and I did just see that uh, pokesreport.com is reporting that Bull, Bob Bullsby well, hold on. Is vis- the, has visited the always reputable pokesreport.com where i go to find and i don't know if they are or not but i saw this too and i laughed at the name like when i think of who's going to break this story that every journalist in the world is trying to get i think of pokes report i i mean i think of this more than i think of you know mhv or three or yeah, you're right. US, okay. West Virginia. You're um, right. C- continue. But it's, you know, they just reported that Bob Bullsby went to Provo and he visited BYU, UCF, Cincinnati and, and um, Houston, which again, like that's probably not that out there because of that's his job to do that. And those are the foremost things, right? Like, I think, you know, like we talked about the first three are kind of a foregone conclusion and the timing of those may all be different, but I think the, BYU, Cincinnati, and UCF, those are the slam dunk. And then it's the debate is more of, is it Houston? Is it Memphis? Is it Boise? Is it like, do you take a flyer on UAB because Birmingham is, you know, deep in the South and is a big area and, you know, whatever, like it's those kind of things, like figuring out that four spot. But um, I think definitely something's happening and I am okay with it. Like we talked about, you know, what will it look like? If you added those four schools of BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and then either Memphis or Houston are basically sixes, it would be roughly, it would be one of the top three basketball leagues in the country. And football, it would be about sixes with the Pac-12. 
and it would be better than the Pac-12 if you take Oregon and USC out, right? Who are kind of propping the rest up. They are the Oklahoma and the UT of the of that league. And so I think it's obviously the perception would be that it's like, you know, not a P5 anymore, like it's a weaker conference, but that changes with time, right? Like if you take care of business, you have non-conference games scheduled and you start winning and then you still have that Sugar Bowl contract and you go four and one over the next five Sugar Bowls, then, you know, people aren't, people are going to be like, oh, you know, whatever, like it's perceptions change, right? Like it's like, look at what Utah and TCU are today versus what they, what people thought of them 25 years ago when they were both mm-hmm. in the whack, right? And so it's perceptions change if you just take care of business and winning fixes everything. And so I don't, I'm not, I think if you, the stupid ideas of like the, oh, well, they should go to 16 for the sake of going to 16 and then get a whole Western wing of UNLV and San Diego State and Boise and BYU, it's like, no, like Colorado State, UNLV, San Diego State, no, sorry. Like that's not going to happen or should it happen. And even strategically, right? Like we, we know what's happening. We can see the writing on the wall that there's going to be a division. Everybody's been talking about it for a decade. It's coming at some point that there is a division from uh, the, the top, the middle, and the bottom. And you just want to be part of that top, right? Well, I think it would be a very dumb strategic decision by the Big 12 to make themselves the target, to be the biggest conference without the, a big brand, it makes it so easy for whatever that division is to come and say, well, look at these 16 teams. Nine of them are a joke. Let's just cut most of them. Like you become the target. Right. And you may still be the target down the road anyway, but don't make yourself the target. If you're going to become the target, then let it happen organically because your football programs didn't do enough, but don't make yourself the target and say, yeah, here, chop us. And That's there's, just- and there's no reason to, because what, where's Boise going to go? They leave right. the Mountain West and go independent so they can still join you if you want yeah. to add them later. Same with yep. UNLV. And San, the Pac-12 is never going to add San Diego State. They're never going to add UNLV. I know people are like, well, they can get Vegas. Like, no, if, if they wanted Vegas, they could have done that already. And the fact that like people say, well, UNLV could be good because they're in Vegas. They've never been good. It's not like at least San Diego State has had a decent decade right? Like in San Diego, and you could argue like, oh yeah, with their new on-campus stadium, a little bit more funding, they could turn into a decent program. UNLV has not even had a spark of anything. And so I just don't see it. Um, uh, The other thing that people have talked about too is comparing it to the Big East, like, well, we don't don't want to end up like the Big East. Okay. Well, that ended up all right for Louisville. They went from Conference USA to the ACC. That's not terrible, right? Like it's, and so even Cincinnati is still, they were there for five, six years. And then um, before it converted over to the, I guess, eight years by the time it switched to being the American and they're in a better spot. Right. But even if you look at the big East, I think you have to understand the history of, <clears throat> of the big East that the league started because there were eight independent teams that said, Hey, we want to play football against each other. So we can get a TV deal. Let's join these eight other basketball teams and we'll have this we'll have 16 teams eight of which don't play football like that is a weird messy league and then the acc comes picks off three of them you kick out temple because you're like you don't even care about football so we're kicking you out of our league and then you invite yukon who was an fcs school and because they were a basketball member but then played fcs football in a different conference so you brought it said oh well yukon you come over usf 
you said, oh, well, we can get the Tampa market. So let's invite USF. And they'd only been playing football for five years at that point. Then Cincinnati and Louisville, who had, you know, their history, and those were actually the good ads. And Cincinnati and Louisville ended up being the two good schools in that league, right? But there was no history. There's not like TCU and Baylor in Houston have in Texas Tech. We're in the Southwest Conference together for 50 years, right? You have, you know, Oklahoma and the Kansas schools and Iowa State. They've been together in a league. Well, the Kansas schools and Iowa State have been together in a league since like 1910 and Oklahoma State joined in like 1950, right? So it's not the history of those schools is a lot more cohesive than the Big East ever was. I, uh, I have to change gears a little bit, but something gross just happened. Have you ever had a tonsil stone? Um, no, I've seen pictures of them and they're not pretty. No, they're gross. I just pulled one out. Ew. Like while you were talking and they stink, like they just stink. And uh, anyway, it was gross. That is gross. It was very gross. Um, You know, believe it or not, conference expansion was not actually on our agenda, but I'm glad we covered it because we needed to. It is, if you believe Utah and, or at Utah and BYU, the news is coming before the season starts. So he's got about 48 hours. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I, uh, I don't know who he is. Maybe, or maybe she, I I guess it could be a, a man or a woman or uh, whatever else there is. And uh, I want them to be right for them at this point. I want their pride to be able, I want them to be able to stroke their pride. They'll when just you, delete it. <laughs> tweets are deleted after 24 hours. They still talk about the fact that they called Kalani Satake as the head coach as if, like, we care still. One, everybody knew that it was Neo Matalolo or Kalani Satake. You had a 50-50 chance of being right. Uh, the Ty Detmer story, that was one of the worst kept secrets. Like, everybody knew that was happening. So they, they keep pounding their chest about how great they are from news that was broken five years ago. They haven't been right since, but they, man, they have dug their heels in on this Big 12 stuff. And they're just going to delete everything. Yeah, it's nonsense. I hope they're right. I hope they're right just for them. Not, I, not because I care at this point. I like independence, but I hope that they are right so that they can feel good about themselves. I don't know whatever it is. Could you imagine? Look, I don't break news much publicly because I just don't care to do that. But Garrett, I mean, you know, imagine if I pounded my chest every time I got the scoop. Man, I'd put a hole in my chest. It would be it would be rough. Uh, The first thing that was really on our agenda was a really important news that's going to impact all of us. The FTC what is their name? The, what are, the Federal, the Federal Trade, Trade Commission. The FTC is investigating why McDonald's ice cream machines are always broken. And I know that you, without having talked to you about this previously, and without knowing anything about how regularly you do or do not go to McDonald's, I know that you have tried to order a hot fudge sundae from McDonald's or a McFlurry from McDonald's at some point in your life, only to have been told that the ice cream machine is broken. I know that has happened to you. Has that happened to you? It's happened to everybody. It's happened to everybody. It hasn't happened to you. You are a liar. Now, the assumption has always been that that's what they say, 
when it's cleaned up for the night, they don't want to turn it back on or whatever. And maybe that is what's happening. That's what I always assumed. That's what I always assumed. I run a call center. Uh, and anytime our systems are down or you know, we're doing like have to do maintenance in the middle of the day or something like that. Uh, it's always when the customer calls in, if they can't access it's we're performing an upgrade, our services will be back up quickly. Like you, that that's, that's how I've always assumed this is, Oh, our ice cream machines are down. AKA we cleaned it up. It's 12 o'clock at night. Please go somewhere else. We're not getting it back out again. But according to this article, um, I think it was like a Wall Street Journal that broke this story. Um, the ice cream machines are so complicated that they truly are broken. So the franchise owners, McDonald's has, they, they don't do it as much anymore, but McDonald's used to franchise out a lot. And so you had your independent owners that paid their dues to McDonald's, but now McDonald's just owns most of their stuff. They hire employees, blah, blah, blah. But the franchise owners that are still holdovers from whenever they got into the franchise, they are complaining. They are begging and pleading with McDonald's to fix these ice cream machines because it's killing their sales. These franchise owners, a lot of them are not in the ideal location. Some of them are in rural locations. They need that ice cream machine to be open or to be uh, to up and running all the time. And it isn't. So now the FTC is getting involved, and that could be a big win for all of us down the road. If the FTC could get to the bottom of these stupid ice cream machines, we can all get ice cream whenever we want. The, I mean, I do enjoy a McDonald's hot fudge sundae. Like, it's, it's a very simple pleasure. Yeah, and I mean, who doesn't? They're a dollar. They're great. Yeah, and they... I thought this was hilarious when you posted this, just I, the fact that it's actually all the way to the FTC and that, I mean, I know there is the map that like checks the outage of the machine, like using them, whatever you can see if the machines are out, because if they take the machine down, then it won't let you order them in the McDonald's app. Um, And they, and so I think that is great that they do have that, Um, but it's embarrassing that it needs to be that it's almost like on a, on Silicon Valley, when he like Ehrlich, uh, he his whole claim to fame was that he started that thing that will just track f- flight delays on Frontier Airlines, and then that <laughs> made him a millionaire. Like I feel like this app is very similar. Yeah, um, but it is game week. Um, we do have you posted up here. I don't know if anyone saw this. So there was the True Blue Hero, and you said uh, you put on here Jaron Hall is the god that will lead us to victory. And you put this video up from the True Blue Hero of him talking and giving a bunch of stuff to um, a child with some, I don't know if it was like muscular dystrophy or what, but it was uh, some type of physical disability. Obviously, the kid's a huge BYU fan. And dude, it was almost like bringing tears to my eyes, right? Like yeah. it's, it's Jaron Hall is like, he is dripping in swagger and confidence. Oh my gosh. So the story itself is phenomenal, right? Like any, these, these, these Thursdays heroes with Bronco, the true blue heroes with Kalani, they're amazing, amazing stories. Every time. Uh, I believe that this young man's name was Brennan. Uh, I hope nothing but the best. The story is inspiring. It's awesome. Uh, let's take this to a football level, man. And Jaron Hall, like lead me, lead me, guide me, take me wherever you want to go. And when you listen to him and the way he conducts himself, in front of this team, it, 
he's got charisma, but he's got like this confidence about him that it's different. Now, at the end of the video, there is a spot where like there's a picture being taken with Brennan and Jaron Hall and Gunnar Romney. And then Jaron and Gunnar are both talking to Brennan afterwards. Now, we're reading into things that like we're we're hurting ourselves trying to read in read into this a little bit. But you listen to the way that Gunnar talks to him. It's great. Talks to him, says, you know, come be our good luck charm, whatever. It's a wonderful thing. Gunnar's a great, 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 great person. But it felt different when when Jaron is talking to this kid, man, like he just feels in charge. Like he feels like he is leading this whole thing. Like he organized this entire event that this is a close relative of him that he is comfortable with and that, that he is putting all of this together. Now imagine, I, I don't think it's going to end up this way, but imagine that on Saturday night, there is, what, what was the situation in 2016? It was, uh, they scored late. Taysom gets the ball with like a minute and a half left and they're down by one. Right. I think that's yeah. what it was. 16, 15. And you've got to rally your team. When you listen to Jaron Hall talk about just giving shirts to this kid and the way that he rallies his team, or when you listen to his press conferences and the way that he answers questions, how direct he is, how confident he is, that's the dude that you know is going to lead you down the field in that remaining 90 seconds. The only question about Jaron Hall's game is his injury history. That's it. That's all. Everything else is there. And I am so excited for him to, to get out on the field and to show all of us why it was really, really close between him and Zach Wilson in 2019. Really close. Yeah. He's the man. And I'm just excited. I'm really, really excited to watch Jaron Hall. That's, that's my big takeaway. Garrett, speaking of leaders, we need to, uh, we need to give you a shout out. Garrett's fighting through right now. He had a root canal yesterday. It did. He's got, got some like allergies. It's with the monsoon down here. It's there's like pollen like crazy. It's dusty. My allergies have been going nuts for the last week. You yeah. can hear it in my voice. I can hear it in your voice. You kind of see it in your face a little bit. Like you're looking. My, my eyes are like, a little puffy. You're, you're, you're pretty puffy. I am. I, I don't I, have people... COVID. I do, I do not have COVID though. <laughs> you did check that. Uh, people call me the Michelin man sometimes because I'm fat. Uh, I'm going to call you the Michelin man. And it's not because you're fat, but it's you're a little puffier up in your head today. Maybe you're more like, uh, is, there a, is there a jet puffed guy? Does jet puffed marshmallows have a guy? I don't know. You're a little Maybe. bit puffier than you used to be. And uh, you're fighting through. Here we are. It is a Thursday morning. I don't think we've ever done a show this early in the morning. No, we haven't. And it's really early for you. This was, we I mean, started at 7.30 your time. Yep. And uh, yeah, I mean, you're fighting through for all of us. And so, so that needs to be talked about. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the recognition. Um, and kind of piggybacking off of the True Blue Hero, I posted this last night on Twitter. Um, we'll get, just kind of want to call it out here. If you are thinking about going to the game or you want to upgrade your seats, um, one of my dad's coworkers uh, tragically lost their one-year-old daughter in an accident a couple of days ago. Uh, they Awful. had they had 12 tickets to the game. They have eight are still unaccounted for. Um, and so they're trying to sell those. They, the seat, they're in section 132, about the 20th row. And those they're going after 
like the price and the fees for Ticketmaster, they're selling for about $200. Um, so they're trying to get rid of those. If you, so there's eight available. Um, there's also four. So another one of my dad's coworkers has tickets on the third, on the 50 yard line in row 30. Um, and he said, if someone wanted to buy those for $300 a seat, then he would just take four of the other eight. Uh, so like he would just make his four available and switch if someone would buy those. So reach out to us if you want to do that. That's obviously, uh, I'm sure the family would much, 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 much rather be at the game. I wish that they could be at the game. Um, but thinking, thinking about the tailors and uh, reach out to us um, and let's try to get those tickets sold. Um, and at least, you know, if you can afford it, you can pay a little premium over what ticket, you know, you don't need to give that money to Ticketmaster. Like this is, you know, they've got a lot of crap going on and dealing with planning for a funeral of, at an age that yeah. no parent should ever have to do that. And if, so if you're paying, if you're paying processing fees, pay the processing fees to people who need them, not yeah. to Ticketmaster. Yep. So that said, uh, reach out to us and let's move on to our Arizona preview. Um, it's game week. It's uh, the line has moved in BYU's favor. I think I saw it last at 12 and a half. It was like 11. I think it started at 11 and moved to 12 and a half. Uh, it started, yeah, it opened up at 11 and it's up to 12 and a half now. Uh, SP Plus has this game as BYU winning by almost 18. I think it's 17.9 is what Brother That's Connell Arizona yesterday. Arizona so bad last year. Well, they were so bad last year. And I, I, there's just not a lot of reason to be optimistic about this year. Let me read a quote from their new offensive coordinator, uh, Brennan Carroll. He's talking specifically about the offensive line and asked about how they performed during camp. Are they going to be good? What do they look like going into the game this week? He said, they have improved with their technique using their hands and really nailing down their footwork and making sure they're doing the right techniques and what we are asking of them. I think they have done a really good job of trying to do what we ask them to do on a day-to-day basis. I don't know, man. That doesn't feel like a, con- a, a quote that instills a ton of confidence for me. Yeah. Hey, that's like... t- tell me how great your offensive line is. Well, they've improved their technique and they did what we asked. That, that's, that's let me say only... that three different ways in the same yeah. sentence. Right. That's the only positive thing that you can come up with. That's like, there was, there was a quote yesterday from a, a journalist and I love the way that they, they put this out there in New York. And they were talking about the New York Giants. They asked Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones, how, how are things going? And he said, well, I think we worked really hard. And the quote that the journalist put out was, Daniel Jones thinks that the New York Giants have worked very hard, period. That was it. And it just it kind of read like, wow, that's it. That's the only good thing in New York. That's kind of what this feels like to me. Now, Brennan Carroll... Um, the reason I think we could read into this a little bit more than, than maybe you could, if it was Daryl Funk or Aaron Roderick, who said this, Brendan Carroll is the son of Pete Carroll and Pete Carroll has never been shy about talking up his players. Brennan has coached for his dad for the last several years up in Seattle. He has learned how to be a coach from Pete Carroll and Pete Carroll. If you ask Pete Carroll about the 53rd man on his roster, he will make you leave that interview feeling like that 53rd man has a chance to be an all pro. Like that's his style. He motivates, he builds up. You'll never hear him say anything negative. Like that's how he, how he is. He does not put a ton of names on the depth chart though, just to make no, a spot for everybody. No, 
No, no, that's true. He doesn't make up positions to to make you feel good because you're on the two deep. But he does build his guys up. And so you assume that his son, who has learned how to be a coach from him, would have some of that same thing, you know, same, same, I guess, style. And all he could come up with about the offensive line is that their technique is better and they're they're doing a good job of doing what they're told. Maybe they're great, but that doesn't really give me a whole ton of confidence. Don Brown on the other side of the ball. I said that really like that was my Valley girl accent right there. Don Brown. I heard that. Woo. I, I have an accent. So my parents. Do you say major? You don't say Marmon though. No, I don't. Well, I could. This is what, hear me out. My parents both grew up in, in Cache Valley, right on the Idaho border. And when I go up there, all my family, most of my family is still up there. So when we go and I hang out with them, when we go camping or hunting or, or, or whatever, uh, they sound, I mean, I know that some of them are listeners and I love you guys, but you sound like rednecks. And that's my, I think, natural accent. When I get up there with them, I start to talk a little bit more like them. And you hear me hold my vowels out a little bit more. You, you can like see, it's almost like it's physical that you can tangibly see my grammar just like changing in front of your very eyes the the best example that i have is when we're hunting and you're talking about like a pheasant that that you just shot now the the way that you would do it with proper grammar is you would say oh yeah i was walking down this fence line and that bird just flew up right underneath my feet and 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 it surprised me but the way that i would tell that story when i'm with my uncles and we're hunting is i was walking down that fence that bird come up got me I do that regularly. I catch myself regularly. I have to make a very conscious effort not to sound like a redneck. And so occasionally when I say things like Don Brown. You're a banker in Ogden, not Wall Street. It's fine. No, no. Well, we're a national bank. If my, if my customers were in Ogden, I think they'd get it. But you most mostly of my deal with truckers. Aren't. Not anymore. I deal with different stuff now. And even the truckers. It's different. There's a trucker accent and a redneck accent. That's They're true. not the same. They are not the same. But I do have to make a very conscious effort. And and even truckers, man. Truckers don't want to bank with other truckers. Like, what makes them feel confident when it's like, hey, I got a check to deposit. Okay, I'll take that check to deposit. Like, that's not going to work. At the same but time, no. I feel like it might because it's like, oh, I don't trust this city slicker. I don't need no yuppie telling me what to do with my money. <laughs> you need to go. Maybe you've seen this redneck.bank. I think is what it I is. I have not seen this. This is a real bank. I think it's in Nebraska. Uh, they do strictly deposit accounts. Now, hang out on the website. You're going to get to this homepage. Hang out there for a minute. Oh, there's so sound. Can... There's like sound. A... There's a goat that pops up. The fly that you see on the screen, that's not... A, a fly on your screen. That's part of the UI. Uh, this is a bank, Redneck Bank, where Bankin's Funner is their tagline. Um, they are a subsidiary of like the Agricultural Bank of Nebraska or something like that. And they cater to rednecks. And this is what I sound like. So I don't know. They really, they don't do ND lending. They just strictly have yeah, Checking well, I mean, it's, it, it rolls up to that Ag Bank of Nebraska. So this is just their deposit gathering strategy for, for, for uh, the money to lend out. So yeah, you, all they have is CDs and savings accounts. They gather the money and then the Ag Bank lends it out on the other side. Right. 
That's hilarious. I'm honestly tempted to open an account right now just uh, to say that I have an account. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think that if I remember right, the, the debit card that they send you, I used to know somebody who worked here. The debit card that they send you has that horse and a hard hat, and it has a, I think there's an insignia of a fly on the on the card itself. Redneck.bank. And if you're unfamiliar, .bank is a .com for banks. So that is the full URL, redneck.bank bank not a sponsor uh but don brown that's what got us started on all of this he doesn't seem to have a whole lot more confidence in his defensive line than uh brennan carroll has in the offensive line don brown now he he's very transparent about who he is and what he is he's dr blitz he's going to send a lot of pressure we know we've talked about this but he said that he's going to probably play upwards of eight defensive linemen but that he only feels confident in two there's only two who are pro- proven and only two that he can count on to – he knows what they're going to do when they're on the field. That's a tough thing, man. I mean, you're going to play six defensive linemen that you don't really know about. That's concerning. At, at best, that's concerning, right? I mean, that feels bad. Yeah, I – it is weird. And he – what did he say? He was like, oh, we're going to try to go over the walls – and like we're gonna blitz all night, whatever. And it's I just don't know. I think he is wants to blitz because that's what he's always done. But I don't think he has the talent to do it on the back end. And I think it's gonna leave a lot of I, yeah. It's gonna leave a lot of stuff, and they're gonna have a hard time containing Jaron Hall. I think so as well. I think Tyler Algier could have a really big game in this one as well. Um, but that's not it, right? So the offensive line, not a lot of confidence in. The defensive line feels uncertain at best. And there still hasn't been any separation between Gunnar Cruz and Will Plummer at the quarterback spot. These are, I mean, if you're, you're making a football team, you're going to say that your quarterback is the most important position, your offensive line is number two, and then your defensive line or your corners, you're going to have an argument about which one is three and which one is four. Like those are the most important positions on the team. And three out of four of them, the coaching staff at Arizona has publicly voiced their concern about three of four of three of the four most important positions on football. That feels like a sign that 12 and a half is not enough of a spread. No. That if you can get this under two scores, you can almost pre-spend that money because it's going to feel like a sure thing, a sure bet. Right. There are good things about Arizona. They have really good linebackers. Anthony Pandy is really, really good. Now, he doesn't have like gaudy stats because he's played behind a bunch of other uh, linebackers who were really good throughout his career, guys like uh, Tony Fields uh, and and a few others. But he's really, really good. He's built kind of like, uh, who does he remind me? Like a Butch Pau or maybe like Jackson Kafusi. 6'1. 230 pounds. I mean, he's not the biggest guy on the field, but he, he moves really well sideline to sideline. And, and his recognition, the way that he can fill gaps is really good. You're going to hear the name Anthony Pandy a lot throughout the game. Uh, and then on the other side, they've got great skill positions, uh, especially at the wide receiver spot. Stanley Berryhill III, it feels like he's been playing at Arizona as long as Jake Oldroyd has been at BYU. Uh, but he is here. He's very good. He's wearing their number one jersey. Uh, Arizona Jetfish, that's like a you earn the number one jersey. Mm. You, you don't get that until game week. Nobody wears number one until game week. 
and uh, he was the guy who performed so well at camp that he earned the number one jersey. 5'11", he's, he's a speedster. Like, he's that that traditional speedster. I'm trying to think of, like, who at BYU you could compare him to, and he's kind of like Jonah Trinneman, but more like Aleva Hifo, kind of in the middle of there. He's really good, and you're going to hear his name a lot. I don't know if the quarterback can get him the ball, but he's going to be open. I, I have little doubt of that. So there are good things about this Arizona team, but those really critical positions – I don't know, man. I don't know. The I just yeah, I don't see it. Like I I don't think Jed Fish will be a terrible hire. Um, I don't think Carroll will be a bad OC. I think Don Brown is a good defensive coordinator, but it ain't happening in 2021. Yeah, I agree. And that's my take. And so I mean it's certainly uh, not in week one. It's certainly not in week one, and certainly when you have two quarterbacks that you're like, uh, oh, well, eh. neither of them are great. So yeah. we'll, we'll see. We'll just do both and see what happens. And the, that's what's so weird to me is that they have been like oddly, oddly pessimistic. Like maybe this is who they are. I don't know. There were quotes. We wrote about it in uh, our Give Them Hell Brigham newsletter earlier this week that these were the kinds of things that, that uh, Arizona's journalists so Arizona's 24-7 journalists. So guys who, uh, as employees of 24-7, we're meant, we need to hype up our team. I try not to because I feel weird doing it, but like that's how you gain subscribers is you tell subscribers what they want to hear. And so the job of the people who run these blogs is to hype up their team. Here are the quotes from our newsletter and from other articles that were posted on 24-7 Sports. So this one was before... Arizona officially went with the two quarterback system. This was prior to the depth chart being released. None of the quarterbacks really stood out in practice, but we're guessing the coaching staff will go with the one who made the least amount of mistakes. That's where Gunnar Cruz comes in as he did not throw an interception in any of the team periods we saw. Will Plummer and Jordan McLeod really struggled with turnovers, and although both had their moments, there is nothing wrong with going with the safe pick. That is the worst possible description coming out of camp that you could have about a quarterback. Oh, that's what I thought until I read the article after the depth chart was released. A different journalist at the same site, here's what they said. Fans upset that there was not a permanent starter announced should be able to decipher what is going on really quickly. I got to backtrack. The title of this article was Arizona's two quarterback system can work. Like you thought you were going okay. in to read something that was going to hype it up. And the first okay, two and or then three par- re- read what you just said again. Yeah, I'll, I'll go like- back. The first few paragraphs, I got to give the context in this one was talking about like Nick Foles. And when he was at Arizona, there was a two quarterback system. It was successful. There was another one in the early two thousands. So you're, you're reading this build up. You're reading this article thinking you're going to be told that, Hey, maybe things are going to be okay. And these are a couple of paragraphs from the, the latter part of the article. Fans upset that there was not a permanent starter announced should be able to decipher what is going on really quickly. And when no quarterback has made a big impression over the other, why wouldn't Jed Fish go with both? So, hey, nobody looked good. So why wouldn't you go with both who looked bad? Maybe someone, just one of them will be a gamer, right? One of them, it's just, he's a gamer. It gets worse. Here's his article of... Or here's his paragraph 
That last paragraph was one full sentence. All of those words were one big, long sentence. Uh, his, this next one is a couple of sentences, but this is the part where you're supposed to feel good. This is the part where it's okay. Even though they didn't look great in camp, here we go. We're going to feel okay because of what I'm about to read. Ready? Go. For as unimpressive as both Plummer and Cruz have looked at times, they both still have positive attributes. Okay, great. Tell me what's going to happen, and we're going to feel great, Garrett. Here it comes. Plummer has all the physical tools. That's it. All the He's got all the physical. That's all. And Cruz has moments where he looks like he can move a team up and down the field. Those are the only things that they said in this article that were positive about the two quarterbacks who are going to be starting at Arizona on Saturday. One has all the physical tools. Stop. The other has moments where he looks like he can move a team up and down the field. Stop. This quarterback situation is a cluster in two Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, so I think even, I mean, this game may be 14 to nothing and we'll still cover. (laughs) I think so. What's really weird to me is that Jordan McLeod, BYU fans are going to remember Jordan McLeod. He was the quarterback at USF when BYU lost to USF. The only thing I remember about that game is both freaking Tanner making the laziest play I have ever seen at any Uh, level of football, high school or higher. Yeah, that's true. And I remember that as well. Jordan McLeod was the quarterback on the other end of that play. He kind of looks like he was throwing with his elbows a little bit, like somehow he was holding the ball with his like in between his forearm and his bicep and would just kind of like chuck it out there and it would flutter. But he won, and he's got a ton of experience. He, I mean, of the three quarterbacks, uh, I think Cruz has thrown seven total passes and Plummer has thrown 80 total passes, but three of them have been intercepted and he's only completed 40 others. Like he hasn't been good. McLeod has thrown for like 3,000 yards. He started multiple games. He's got the ability to move around with his legs. But I don't know why. He must have been just downright terrible, awful, bad because he's not even being considered in this, this quarterback, multiple quarterback system. So I don't know, man. This, this quarterback situation down there in Arizona, it feels like an absolute nightmare. And for that reason alone, I think, you should feel pretty confident betting BYU this week. Yeah. And it's, I mean, their defense wasn't great either. Their last game that they played, they lost 77 to zero or whatever. Yeah. They, they, have, the ter- they have lost 12 straight games. We haven't talked about that because COVID and whatever the short year, they have lost 12 straight games. They have not won since like the end of September, 2019. Yeah. Not, they're not in a good spot. That whole program, Kevin Sumlin, who man, what what a that's, mess he left there. It is a mess. And that's something else to talk about, right? That Rich Rod ran what Rich Rod ran. Like we know what Rich Rod's spread offense looks like. Kevin Sumlin's was very, very similar. A little less quarterback option running and a little bit more passing, but very similar in, in construct. Jet Fish and Brandon Carroll aren't running that. These guys, we, while we don't know exactly what they're going to run because we haven't ever seen it, they both come from pro-style coaching trees. That There's going to be guys under center. Like there's going to be a, a, an offense that looks conceivably a lot like BYU's does. And there's going to be some transition pains there. Yeah, without question. So Arizona, man, I, I don't know. I just don't feel good about Arizona one bit. Yeah. What are you expecting on the other side of the ball from BYU? How do you think things are going to look there? 
Um, I'm expecting from Jaron Hall uh, at least 275 yards passing and at least uh, at least 50 yards rushing with three touchdowns. Okay. That's what I'm expecting from Jaron Hall. I wow. he he may rush for over 100 yards because I could see him like having a 65 yard touch. Like I could see him popping one. He's so fast. We don't recognize how fast he is. He is fast. Like so I I'm, can see that. Yeah, I am like full Waco chugging gallons of Jaron Hall Kool-Aid right now. And so I I'm all in on the Darren Hall train. And I, yeah, I think he is going to like, after that game, people are going to be like, Oh, Jaron Hall. Okay. Like we, you know, Jeff and Garrett weren't crazy when they said, we don't think the drop-off in overall production is going to be that different from Zach Wilson. I I think it will come in different ways because obviously he's going to rush for more yards and throw for a little bit less, but net production, I think is going to be the same. So is it, I mean, is this like a message from the football gods trying to tell us that we're right? The comparison we've made for the last several months has been John Beck to Max Hall, John Beck to Max Hall, John Beck to Max Hall. And Max Max Hall's first start against Arizona. Max Hall's last name is Hall. This is the why 2006, the economy was great. 2007, pending financial crisis. It all lines up. Oh, yeah, man. This is Wyanon Illuminati stuff. Uh, Max Hall's line against Arizona in 2007, 26 of 39, 288 yards and two touchdowns. He also ran for four yards, which, in fairness to Max Hall, a four-yard gain feels that's, like. That's a lot for him. That's yeah, going that's, the distance. That was a big one. Uh, I, I'm with you. I expect a lot out of Jaron Hall. The defense is where I have questions, and I and I don't know that I have bad questions. I don't know that I have low expectations. I just have questions, specifically at the linebacker position, because I want to know what Kevin Clune is doing differently. I'm confident that something different is being done, but I, I I'm anxious to see what it is. And here's here's why I think I'm so anxious, and it has to do with the depth chart. And and there's not very many things you can realistically draw from a depth chart, especially BYU's depth chart, where there were 15 positions and 39 different names on the defensive side of the ball. Like clearly, that is a depth chart that is not designed to give away much. But there was one thing that I think you can take away, and I can't remember which position it was, if it was the flash or if it was the rover, but it was one of those hybrid linebacker positions where we have assumed that Max Tooley is going to be the starter forever. And he probably will be. He's, he's very, very good. But the depth chart lists him as an or with Ben Bywater. Now, I'm very high on Ben Bywater. We've talked about Ben Bywater a bunch over the offseason. Uh, when he's healthy, and he, he, he was making his way up the depth chart last year before he got hurt. Uh, when he's healthy, he is very, very good. I did not expect him to potentially take playing time away from Max Tooley. So something is happening in that linebacker room. Now, maybe it's just Tooley didn't perform up to up to expectations, or maybe Kevin Kloon is doing something that is getting more out of guys like Ben Bywater who look more like a prototypical linebacker than, than a guy like Tooley right. does. Because, I mean, even just looking at their size, right? Tooley's 6'2", 215, Bywater's 6'3", 230. So he's a little bit taller, a little thicker. Yep. And, uh, I mean, Max Tooley is, he he was recruited and was hoped 
to be a, a defensive back, but he, he gained a little bit more weight and kind of outgrew the position. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I don't know what to expect from the linebackers, but I'm expecting them to look vastly different than they did a year ago. That's what I know. Same personnel, but they're going to be, I, I don't know. I think they're going to be in better spots to succeed. I think they will too. And, and I think you can make that same argument for the defense as a whole. One of the things I'm most curious about going into this game and really going into the year is, okay, there, we just said it. There's 39 names on the depth chart. Is that because there's 39 guys who are going to play? We've seen the defense play upwards of 25 guys in a game, right? We've seen full-fledged hockey subs from possession to possession, and it's driven me absolutely bananas. But they do it in the name of keeping their guys fresh and, and whatever. It makes sense. I understand the logic. I personally would probably pick a different logic, but I get the logic. The logic is there. You could follow what they're doing. We, I would go a different way, but I can't. As long as there's a plan with a thought-out logic that makes sense, I'm not going to pretend like I know better. So I, I understand the logic. There clearly is a thought process to, to playing so many guys. Do we still see that this year with a guy like Kevin Clune? I read in BYU's game notes this week that with Kevin Clune on board, the defensive coaching staff now has 85 years of college football experience. Well, that's Kevin not makes, That's not nothing. And Clune makes up like 35 of those. So he clearly is going to have a voice in this defensive scheme. Do, do we still see the hockey subs, Garrett? Do we still see all this crazy rep distribution that we once saw? I think that could go away a little bit. I hope so. I think it needs to go away. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I mean, push come to shove. If it keeps points off the boards, I don't really care that much. Like, yeah, that's fair. We could drop 11 every single play or we could blitz 11 every single play. I would not care one bit as long as the other team doesn't score. Okay. I can get on board with that. Um, but so I think I will be, I am interested to see just with, I mean, there is some deliberate changes, right? Like, because the outside linebackers and the defensive ends have been carved out to be kind of like a hybrid position group going with Preston Hadley. So we've separated like the inside linebackers and then the edge positions and then the interior linemen, the safety in the corners, the way the assignments have been made and from talking like, I don't know if you listened to the coordinator's corner on Monday. Um, you know, Elisa Tuyaki mentioned that he finally feels like he has the depth in the secondary to do what he wants to do. So I think we are going to see, I think we will see significant style changes and it will look more like the 2016 defense than it has the last few years, um, just because there finally is the depth there. And I don't, the sad thing is though, is it's not really going to be tested against Arizona and we'll find out next week. It's true. Next week, oof, that's a big one. I'm excited to see um, the top play a little bit tonight. They're not going to show much against Weber, but to just see some of those guys and see what they look like. Go if Wildcats know, tonight, but not on if Saturday. I, if I know Utah, because this is what they do every year, uh, they're going to win this game tonight like 27-3, to 3, and everybody's going to freak out because they didn't win by 55. They are a 30-and-a-half-point favorite, so... I would probably take the Wildcats to cover on that. I think um, so, too. so um, we do have here, um, you did have a line. You said 
you want to explain to people how to gamble should they have the temptation. <laughs> well, I mean, look, we're all going to be in Vegas. And we all know the old Lavelle Edwards quote of you're going to go to Vegas with a $10 bill and not break the 10 commandments or the $10 bill or whatever he said. Uh, we like to gamble. We're going to go through our picks here in a minute. Uh, let's explain how this works. Now, there's two parts to this. One, explaining the betting lines. And I, I bring this up because it happened in my mentions that uh, earlier this week I was talking about some lines and there was clearly some confusion about what minus six and a half, what plus 12 and a half, what all of that means. So in its simplest form, you are betting on our first game is tonight. The current line is UCF minus six and a half. You are betting in this game that UCF will win by more than six and a half points. So basically, if you subtract six and a half points from UCF score, will they still win? Or the flip side, if you add six and a half points to Boise's score, does that make them the winner? Right. And that's, that's it. That's how it works. There's the money line, and that's just picking a winner. And I'm not going to get into the math uh, while I understand the math, I've never figured out how to explain the math of what the like minus one. It's what is it like? It's it's off of a the, ten system. Do you know well, how? To yeah. Do it? Well, so on a yeah on a normal spread, the vig will be like minus one ten. So that means you have to bet one hundred ten dollars in order to win one hundred dollars. And so I, so if you so if you go so BYU like is a twelve and a half point favorite. If you put a hundred and ten dollars on BYU minus twelve and a half then you and BYU wins by at least 13 points, then you will get, you will cash out $210, your original yep. 110 plus the 100. But if you flip it and it's a plus, then that's how much you like, it's basically, that's just what you get on top of the $100. So if it's like plus 200, then you're going to get like 300 back. And it's yeah, like, like even. It's, An e it's, even bet, you'll see it, like even line is you pay a dollar, you get a dollar. That's what the even is, right? right. You, win a, you bet a dollar, you get that dollar back plus one. Yeah. Everything plus or minus from there is is based off of that. Right. So and so, the, yeah, the plus is like it's backwards. It's like the plus is if it's a like if you're betting on an underdog and it's like so you it's like plus 250, whatever. It's like if you bet $100, that's how much you will win. But if it's minus, then it's that's how much you have to bet in order to win $100. And it's dumb that it's not standardized in, in European sports books. And if you go on to any sports book, you can probably change this. They just do decimals and it's so much easier. So instead of mine 10, like minus 110, it's just like 1.96. Like you will 1.96 X your money. Like, oh, the money line is like 270. Okay, you will 3.7 X your money if they that win. Like that it is, just, it makes way more sense. And I hate admitting that Europe does something better than the United <laughs> States, but they do in this regard. It absolutely makes more sense. And it is way easier to understand, but I don't like it. I like that betting has its own little language that we have to figure out. Uh, so that's the spread and that's the money line. The money line is you're just picking a winner and you're going to see an associated plus or minus number attached to it. Obviously, if the spread is big, betting the favorite is you're going to see a number like Alabama is typically like a minus 1200 on the money line, because we all know they're going to win. So if you bet a hundred dollars, then you might get a dollar back. Like that's yep. kind of how they work. Um, so that's how, that's how you read the lines. You're going to go into a sports book. You're going to see the big board with all the lines up. 
That's what those lines mean. You can also go and grab the piece of paper. I like to grab the piece of paper just because the, 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 like the professional bettors who are there or the, the degenerates who are there all the time, they've always got their papers. And as much as I enjoy gambling and as frequently as I do it, I still like to feel like I'm part of the team. So I go grab a paper and then I end up looking at the board anyways. So the paper's kind of worthless. But you can grab the paper, the lines are there. Um, that's how you read the board. Then there's making the bet. So some places like in Wendover will have like a little vending machine that you can go and do it. You don't have to talk to anybody. In Vegas, that really doesn't exist. You are having to go and you have to talk to somebody. I'm actually kind of curious to see how it's going to work. I haven't been to Vegas uh, since COVID. Uh, it's always a cash bet, but most of Vegas is not accepting cash right now. And so I'm assuming it's still probably a cash bet because of the risk of accepting debit cards on bets and then having chargebacks and all that stuff. I'm assuming it's cash only still, like it always has been. But where everywhere else in the casino is no cash and contactless payments and all that stuff, I wonder if there's something funny there. I don't know what that's going to look like. But you go with cash. There's numbers associated with each team on the board. BYU will be number, and it varies by sports book, number 188 playing Arizona, who is number 189. And you are going to go and you are going to take, if you're just betting a straight up bet on BYU, you're going to go and you're going to say, here's my $20 bill. I want 20 on 188. That will give you BYU in the spread. Or you could say, I want 20 on the money line for 188. And that will bet just the, the winner, that BYU will win the game. And that's how you place a bet. Now, we're not going to get into parlays and fun stuff like that because I don't know how to explain that on a podcast. And I'm afraid that those of you who will not succumb to temptation and do not feel like betting is appealing or gambling is appealing at all have already tuned out. So we're going to cut our gambling lesson at just a simple, basic bet. But there's more fun stuff that you can do. We're not going to talk about the game lines, betting the over-unders, because I don't feel confident enough that we're ready for that as a collective give em hell Brigham listenership. Some yeah. of us are, but the collective body, I don't think we are. No, and just, just remember that if you are laying the points, you're putting money on the favorite. And if you're taking the points, you're putting money on the underdog. Don't mix that up. Like that, if, if you can't, if you don't know the difference between that, you're not ready for this. Yeah. Yep. And then the last lesson, there is one last lesson that I learned from a very, very drunk man when I was betting some playoff basketball games in like 2014. Scared money never wins. Don't bet scared. Bet with confidence. Because if you're scared, scared money doesn't win. That's what this drunk man taught me. And uh, I guess it makes sense. He seemed to know what he was talking about. I mean, you can always trust drunk people in Vegas. That's usually a good place to seek advice. Um, closing out our show, we do have our picks. Um, we'll track them throughout the rest of the season. So our first thing, start kicking off tonight. UCF is a six and a half point favorite at home against Boise. Uh, I liked this a lot more when it was like five, when it opened up. Uh, and I actually liked the over under. I think I would take the... I think it was at 64 and I liked the under a little bit. I don't know if I have to pick a, if I have to pick a winner here, I probably go UCF cause it's a long ways to travel for Boise. They've got a new coach, but UCF's a little bit of a mess right now too. So I don't know. 
I I have confidence in the Gus bus. I've got confidence in Malzahn and what he's going to do at UCF. And I think Hank Bachmeyer has just been okay at Boise. There's a whole new staff there, new system. He's got to figure his thing out. And I think Dylan Gabriel is going to roll. Um, so I think UCF, we have Stanford is a three-point dog on the road in Manhattan, Kansas at K-State. I, I mean, I know that Stanford has some question marks. I know that they struggled. I know that Kansas State returns a quarterback who was pretty good, but I cannot in good faith bet against David Shaw with points on the road. I, I'm taking K-State. I think they, Chris Klein is a good coach. They obviously, they knocked off, they've knocked off Oklahoma two years in a row. They have a winning streak against the Sooners. Yeah, they also um, got boat raced by like, we don't talk about that one. Texas. Um, so I think that K-State at home, though, I think they are going to get the job done and take that next step. This next one is interesting. Fresno State is a 20 21-point underdog in Eugene against the Oregon Ducks. Oregon. You think Oregon's going to win by that much? You don't. I think this one is interesting. I like this bet, Fresno, because it's a nice even number. Right, 21, like having 21, there's a decent chance for a push on this. And I think, you know, Fresno State obviously is UConn, but they do have a game under their belt. I could see Oregon just kind of going out and doing their thing and it winning casually, like, you know, 35 to 14. And it's just a pretty ho-hum game. Like, I don't see Oregon winning this game by 40 points. I don't either, but I don't see Fresno being able to move the ball at will against Oregon. That Oregon defense is legit. They don't have anybody who could stop Kayvon Thibodeau on the edge, and he's going to wreak havoc in the backfield, something that UConn could not do last week. I see this as a game that is 35-7. So if it was 28, would you take Fresno? Is that kind of about where you'd... Yeah, I think four scores is what this is. So if if it was even 24, I'd probably take Fresno. Okay, I can do that. Texas Tech is a two-point favorite on the road in Houston against the Houston Cougars. This This is is the weird game. I wouldn't even take this in our degenerate pool. Um, I picked Houston straight up, but I would not even mess with this because at two points, like you might as well, there's more value in taking the money line and getting a little bit more of a payout than taking a two-point spread. Yeah, without question. This game's this is crazy to me. Uh, Texas Tech, it feels like they're only favored because they are a P5 school. Like Matt Wells hasn't been great. Uh, and I love brother Dana. I, he's a, he's a, he made me a fan for life last year with all of the compliments he paid towards BYU and, and Clayton tune is back. Right. So they do have, right. They do have that. So I like Houston in this game. I also like the money line. Um, UTSA, uh, which we named as one of our teams to watch for the season. They have sincere McCormick back. Uh, there's a lot of buzz out of, Texas like people in Texas who cover Texas football are kind of looking for UTSA to make a jump in what Jeff trailer is doing now in his third year in the program and kind of taking that except they're a five and a half point favorite on the road in Champaign against Illinois five and a half point dog on the road or sorry target five and a half yeah. point dog that's what Brett Billima looked good against Nebraska um 
not Brett Bielema, but Brett Bielema's squad. Brett Bielema hasn't looked good in like 30 years. Like that guy, that guy looks rough. Uh, but I, I like what I saw from that Illinois team. Now, Nebraska's a dumpster fire, but if you're going to line up Nebraska and UTSA straight up, I'd probably still take Nebraska. I'm confident. I love what I hear about UTSA. I think Jeff Trailer is on the right track, but I don't know that I'm ready to say that in week one this year is when we see that manifest itself. So Illinois at less than a touchdown. I, I like that line a lot. I, I agree. I think if, if it was seven and a half, I would probably take UTSA. Um, LSU is a three point favorite against UCLA. This one, because LSU was not good. They crashed hard last year. Everyone is on the UCLA hype train. Uh, they ran all over Hawaii, but DTR could not hit the broadside of a barn throwing the ball. Right. Uh, I'm not LSU. bought into Chip Kelly at UCLA. I don't. Uh, he, I don't see he, it. He is wearing a visor again, oh, which okay. is yeah. which is he wore a visor at Oregon and he was great. He's been wearing hats since then. Uh, he's back in a visor, and I don't know why he ever strayed away from the visor. He went to the NFL, went to the Eagles, uh, wore a hat, went to the Niners, wore a hat. First few years at UCLA, wore a hat, and he didn't look good. He hasn't looked good, hasn't been able to rekindle his Oregon flame. Um, so he's back in a visor, and I think that's going to that's gonna matter, but not this week. Coach uh, Coach O, go Tigers. I think he's... Look, they had a quarterback, a couple of quarterback injuries last year. Uh, they they lost Joe Burrow. They were a mess. COVID got them a couple of years or a couple of games where they were missing guys. I I think Coach O and the Tigers, they 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 rebound this week. They get back on track. They beat UCLA. They beat UCLA by ten points. I yeah. how's my how's my Coach O? How'd I do? Uh, uh, it was too understandable. You you ah. moved your you moved your lips too much. Oh, uh, you're right. Okay, I gotta. I'm going to keep my teeth closer together. I'm going to go, uh, the Tigers are going to get back on track this week. They're going to, they're going to take down uh, UCLA and Bruins and Chip Kelly's Lazarus this week. For now. Yep, there we go. That was good? perfect. Yes, I could not understand you, but LSU fans are excited to finally have a coach that doesn't have an accent for them. <laughs> so in our last game, Nevada traveling from Reno to Berkeley is a three-and-a-half-point dog on the road at Cal. I think Nevada will win this game. I do too. I love Carson Strong. He's so good at Nevada. He is going to be the guy that uh, just climbs up draft boards and you hear, you will hear people talk about Carson Strong the same way you heard people talk about Trey Lance last year. He is a damn good quarterback. Uh, I like Cal. I like Justin Wilcox. That defense is going to be tough. Wilcox is a hell of a coach. Uh, but Carson Strong, too much. Give me Carson Strong and the points. Yep. Um, the if Before we take this head out, uh, Stuart Mandel just tweeted, said another realignment scoop from Max Olson. I'm going to have to sign up for The Athletic. Says the Big 12 is moving faster than expected and nearing consensus on these four schools, BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston. So we may see something here. Wow, Utah bit. and BYU. Maybe they're right. Dude, maybe maybe they... guys right. If you're a listener at BYU and Utah or whatever the hell your thing is, please reach out to us. We will we will figure out a way. I don't know how to do it. We'll figure out a way to do like the 
the voiceover so that you oh, sound yeah. like you're like that deep voice, scary guy, and, and we'll blur out your face. We won't ever, we will never reveal who you are. But if you're right and it happens before Saturday, I want to give you your dues. I want to build you up. I want to put you on a pedestal, build you a damn statue because you must have some sort of a connection. But if you're wrong and it doesn't happen by Saturday, I will burn you with fire. The and don't bother. We have screw. We have. Um, oh, we keep receipts. We we have receipts, right and I know he's deleting. He said, "Well, he says oh, all tweets deleted after 24 hours to try to be scubinous, but really, there's no paper trail." Um, don't worry. Earlier this week, I set up, and every time you tweet, it gets saved to a Google <laughs> Sheet automatically. So you cannot run away from me. I love it. I love it, but I will. I will give every ounce of credit that you so desperately want and need. I will give it to you. I will give all of it to you. And we will we will we will create shirts. We will sell shirts with just your name at Utah and BYU. We will design I will pay for a designer to do whatever. But if you're wrong, we will ridicule you. We will have some sort of a public reckoning in the middle of town square. We will mock you endlessly until you quit, like we did with Black Cat Insider. He's gone. Uh, I have been blocked by the dude of West Virginia and MHB or three because I have mocked them endlessly for years. But if you're right, I will give you all the credit in the world. The <laughs> I I just I don't see an announcement happening in the next day and a half. Well, which he is saying, oh, well, they've already got the invites, but it's not. And yesterday he was saying Twitter's about to explode, but it's yeah. like, oh, there's not. There have, he said they haven't got the invites yet, right, and whatever. Um, but he says that the school's already got them. And I think the dude of West Virginia, I made a Twitter list so I didn't have to, so I could just, with all of these idiots, so I could just check in on it. Um, have you seen Tim Shepard? He's like the new one. I haven't uh, heard of him. He, he's a he's a Texas guy though. Ah, um, wow, perfect. But he is saying um, just to do so. The dude of West Virginia is saying it's BYU and UCF, and the more going to come later. Um, Tim Shepard says that Houston is and SMU are out, but UCF, BYU, Memphis, and Cincy will be. You know that's who it will be, and. Uh, but my favorite was BYU and Utah yesterday saying, well, because the Big Ten 12, they released a statement yesterday and we're like, oh, like we are all basically we're committed to staying together. We're going to figure out how to make the Big 12 work. Everyone is on board. Like, let's like we're moving forward together. OK, whatever. That's fine. And says they'll evaluate expansion. Then after BYU-Utah earlier in the day was like, Twitter's about to explode with expansion news. Buckle up, BYU fans. It's like, well, obviously what was finalized in the meetings and what was announced as the statement are leagues apart from where they are really are in the process. <laughs> uh, I hope he's right, just so that we can put this to bed and be done with it. My yep. Okay. Um, so it's game week. Finally, um come join us on discord this is our last week of our you know tomorrow will be our last open um well we're still gonna have open newsletter it will be the last of getting every newsletter so if you are a free subscriber to the newsletter you'll see a little bit of a slowdown next week just because we'll start having some of the stuff that has some of um some more of the uh information that fans will be curious to hear about in season will be um that will start going behind the paywall 
and not every issue is going to go out to everybody. So please join us. Uh, the Discord is popping. It's really fun. Uh, we've got a good community over there. So go to givemhelpbrigham.com, click the Discord button at the top, and it will get you right in there. And Jeff, I am so excited to go to Vegas on Saturday and watch a lot of football. I'm excited for the boys of UCF game tonight. And I'm just glad that football season is here. I am too, man. I'm really glad it's here. I'm glad that uh, give them help, Brigham. We're back into the swing of things. You know, we, we get a little, we get a little weird without football in our life. And now we can recenter, refocus and uh, focus on what really, really matters. And that is our Cougars and football. Amen. Give them hell, Jeff. Give them hell.